Greetings programs, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 31. I'm your host Duncan Shields and with me today is my insightful, powerful, and intuitive guest co-host Duncan Shields. Welcome Duncan. This will be a solo week this week, so the Minutes episodes might be a little shorter. But there's lots of juicy stuff here to go over, so let's get into it. This is the one. This is the moment. This is where Flynn gets shot with the laser and digitized and sucked into the grid universe. So that's what happens in this minute here. Uh, Let's see here. At the beginning of the minute, there is a brief shot of Shiva, the actual real-life laser in the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory warming up. I'm sure that they added the green glow in post and didn't even come close to actually firing the laser. They did take a bunch of stills of the arena to... or not the arena, but the, the room where the laser is to make sure... I mean, just so that they could do it in post, that they could get the, the shots of of him being digitized. And so I think they probably took a shot of the laser dead on and then added the almost green Kirby dots happening inside the muzzle or the nozzle of the laser. The barrel? I wonder what they call that part. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the, um, the fire in my laser meme, the shoop-de-whoop meme. The, uh, the face with the googly eyes and a huge mouth shooting a giant laser out of its mouth. You can overlay it on a lot of different uh, animated characters and quote-unquote IRL characters, and then you get a, a great effect. Slapping some eyes and a, and a big mouth firing a laser onto things. It's very funny. So we get a shot of Flynn being targeted by the laser screen in a similar way that we saw the orange being targeted earlier. But whereas the orange was a low-res picture of an orange, here we get a regular shot of Flynn, a regular 65-millimeter shot of Flynn, and then that switches to a Predator Vision infrared cam as uh, digital readouts fill up both sides of the screen, similar to what we had earlier with the orange, only this says... Down the left, it says mag 10 times, magnification 10 times, MCP control, active input, servo center, grid matrix, log data, guidance input, STRGECLRD, storage cleared maybe. And then on the right, it says mode scan, targeting, servo power, power coupling, logic bypass, FRG, MNTR, fragmenter, perhaps, KCW, CNTRL, looks like KCW control, whatever that is, and then thermo, TRGT which is a little different from the orange laser, the laser where they uh, took apart the orange, that D-Res readout. 
mostly the thermo target part, which I think highlights what the infrared part is. So it's kind of confusing because he's right there in front of it plainly, but for some reason it feels the need to switch to infrared thermo target. But I guess that adds just a little bit more suspense and lets the viewer know that something is up and something is going on. Because if once something switched to infrared, if I know my movies, as soon as somebody switches to infrared, something bad is going to go down. <laughs> From Robocop to Predator to Tron, once they switch to infrared, somebody's getting taken apart. All right. So the camera pans around a bit, like it's searching for Flynn, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, seeing as the laser is pretty heavily bolted to the floor with very industrial strength looking structures. And this looks like the laser's sort of POV cam. But as we discussed in the last minute with Chris LaSalle, there's a version in the novel where the laser actually swings out from a recessed alcove to take aim on Flynn, uh, which they didn't go for and didn't use. And there's a version in the screenplay where the laser is revealed when a section of the lab wall behind Flynn slowly rises. And both of these were ultimately untenable since they were actually filming in the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory over the course of, I think, two or three days, or I think a week. And that's a real laser, and it ain't going nowhere. So I imagine having at least the POV move a bit and, you know, quote-unquote search for Flynn was the 5% compromise that they were allowed to throw in there. Just a little bit of camera work to kind of make it look like the the laser's sniffing around <laughs> trying to find Flynn. Uh I guess this laser's eyesight is not is not very good because Flynn takes up 90% of the screen here. The MCP finishes its line from minute 30 saying, I'd like to go against you and see what you're made of, which is ominous. And again, a huge, huge reason for him to tuck and roll and GTFO when the bad guy starts talking to you like that. I just want to keep you close. Come in closer. I want to see what you're made of. That's like, oh, I better get out of here right now. Then Flynn says, you know, you don't look a thing like your pictures, which I assumed was a comment on internet dating. But they didn't have internet dating back then in 1982. Or if they did, it was just used by maybe a handful of people that were actually working on university campuses or something. Um, if I remember correctly, people at that point were limited to dating friends of friends or going to bars or bookstores or parties or just seeing what happened, you know, getting a phone number, going from there. Also, uh, personal ads in the backs of newspapers, which I think is still going on but they didn't have pictures in the newspapers I don't think they just had a short list 
uh, self-description, um, acronyms, you know, SWM seeking SWF and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, what they were looking for. But then in the eighties, I remember there was video dating where people would make a coached scripted videotape, hopefully coached, hopefully scripted videotape about themselves and a service would show it to prospective mates and a match would be brokered through the service. I know there's a, there's a found footage festival that travels around here that edited a few of these together into a cringeworthy montage because it's all just amazing fashions from the 80s, but like cutting edge, cool fashions from the 80s, but uh, that have not aged well. And of course, they've, they, the footage festival has probably cherry picked the best slashed worst ones. And it's people at their uh, at their lowest, maybe I don't know. In some way, at least they're out there looking. At least they're trying to do something about it. So maybe it's uh, it's not. Uh, it's a little. Cr- it feels cruel to laugh at the footage, but you know they've picked the ones that are the easiest to laugh at. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But the internet has made it all a lot easier. Um, I hear that something like 25 to 30% of all marriages these days started with online dating. Maybe these days that percentage might be up to like 50%. I'm not sure. Like when you throw in Tinder and and all these other uh, dating apps, like, I don't know. There must be a tremendous amount of couples, even if they just started out, you know, with uh, just hooking up or whatever. Um, I think a lot of people probably meet online these days. I wonder if it's even more so, like if it's up to 60 or 70, maybe in the urban centers, definitely. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You have to get some current stats on that, which is wild because that means, as I discussed a little bit before, that new children are being made based on computer dating algorithms. So computers are starting to decide what humans are being born which when you think about it is a slightly i don't know if i want to say sinister but it's definitely interesting if an ai took over that would be where to start if they wanted to do a reverse eugenics to make people dumber as a populace then they would just start hooking certain people up with certain people and downgrading everybody's uh, inductive reasoning skills. But I don't know what uh, Flynn is referring to exactly when he's saying, you don't look a thing like your pictures. I guess people would answer a personal's ad and somehow exchange a few pictures and then go on a date from there. He says it like it's a cliche thing to say in 1982. Uh, so I guess it's a sick burn on the MCP and another glib funny comment to add to Flynn's litany of glib funny comments. I don't know. What do you think? Let us know. Drop us a line on the listeners page or uh, a Twitter account or anything like that at Tronologically Speaking and uh, let me know what you think. The MCP says, I'm warning you, you're entering a big error, Flynn. I'm going to have to put you on the game grid, which, again, is about the fifth thing that the MCP says that makes me go, oh my gosh, get the heck out of there. 
and should have set him screaming out of the emergency exit door. Uh, but he probably takes it as an empty threat. Then the readout changes to mode lock and target lock on, which is, uh, you know, pretty much the worst of all bad news. Uh, Flynn says, games? You want games? I'll give you games. And then just as he finishes that last games, ah, yes, the laser fires. This is probably one of the most iconic shots in the movie. I can't remember if it was used a lot in the official trailer, but um, I think it was. But it's one of the sequences that sticks with me a lot. Um, It scared some people when they saw it. In some ways, it was a bit graphic, seeing a human being just get broken down element by element like that. Wendy Carlos's frankly incredible audio track, Wormhole, amps up as the screen does this sweet horizontal shot with Flynn on the left side and the laser on the right side like somebody shot it vertical on uh, on a phone. But it's been turned sideways as the laser pulses out a blue beam and shoots Flynn right in the back. Again, as we've mentioned before, the literal worst place for a workstation uh, in a laser bay. Set up the chair and the monitor right in front of the laser. Flynn lets out a grunt slash scream and arches his back and brings up his legs like the chair is falling backwards before freezing in position unnaturally, like he's being turned into a statue. In much the same way that the orange was blocked out and divided into quadrants, the same thing happens to Flynn, with blue shimmery outlines instead of green. And at first his frozen form is projected into a basic polygonal structure, which then reduces to rudimentary blocks, like one for his head, one for his torso, uh, one for his forearm, his bicep, all that kind of stuff. Kind of like the force shield armor in David Lynch's production of Dune. Uh, Then we go back, remember those? Remember the force shield armor in David Lynch's Dune? I remember at the time that was probably one of the coolest effects I'd ever seen in my life. It looked like it was mostly hand-done, too, which is uh, pretty incredible. It probably had some computer assist. The hard edges on the force shield was really, really kept straight. So let's see. Then we can go back to the uh, sweet horizontal cam as the grid overlay becomes more complex. Then back to a nice cam from the front of him, all spread-eagled arms and legs outstretched as if he's falling backwards and the grid around his body conforms to his outline and achieves a uniform grid look over his entire form. Now that he's in stasis, the laser pulses with sweet pew pew sounds and takes him apart a bit at a time starting with the pinky on his right hand, then his ring finger, and then his palm. After that, we switch to a back view camera, and we see his left hand being removed in the same way, like a printer unprinting someone 
one row at a time. And then we get a shot of the laser by itself sweeping back and forth. We see Flynn's torso get removed from the front view. Then a shot of the laser by itself as the beam splits into two beams, suggesting that it has uh, split and is now working on his legs and feet. Now, what's interesting for me is this kind of a Bernstein Bears moment with this sequence for me because I seem to clearly remember his feet and shoes being taken apart down to the tips of his toes and then the camera goes into the nozzle of the laser but here you just see the laser split to suggest that it's finishing off his legs before it gets sucked into the nozzle of the laser so you never actually see the last part of him that you see disappear is just his torso so it's very interesting that just the suggestion of the feet being taken in somehow made it into my memories as the actual feet being taken in. It's wild to go back and see a movie that you haven't seen in a super long time because then you're like, well, that's not how it happened at all. Like there's a scene in Weird Science, the movie Weird Science, where uh, the two main characters there, they they're nerds and they're going to get dressed up and they're going to go out and they borrow their father's clothes and it's like a a a varsity blazer or something like that like it's just really weird mismatched suits that are like from a long time ago and look kind of awkward and are a little too tight and then as they're leaving the genie that they've created there, Kelly LeBrock, she snaps her fingers and electricity crawls over the two of them and they get turned into wearing the coolest, most hip 80s suits, padded shoulders, kind of a wooly texture with little flecks of white and black in it. And I remember at the time it came out, I was like, wow, they went from wearing dorky clothes to looking super cool. But now, watching it now, they go from wearing really hip, cool-looking vintage clothes to awful, awful 80s fashion. So it's weird how things change over time. Which isn't quite the case here, because here there's actually no shot of his feet being removed. But I digress. In the creator commentary, uh, they say that to get this effect, they use some 4x5 cameras to take a shot of Jeff Bridges in mid-spasm and then had him leave so they could also take the same shots of the room without him in it. That way they could make parts of him seem to disappear. And that's why all those shots are locked-off shots that don't move. They're basically still shots. The animation of his being derezzed here was done using the effects animation of John Van Vliet. And John Van Vliet is a little bit of a star. John Van Vliet spelled V-L-I-E-T. Right, I had a little trouble <laughs> looking for it because in the 
I was going off the director's commentary and they said John Van, it sounded like they said John Van Fleet. So I was looking for fleet like a fleet of ships or Greta Van Fleet and I was finding nothing. But it's uh, Vliet or Vliet. He had gone on to do effects animation and supervisory effects animation after Tron on a ridiculous number of amazing movies. Before Tron, he did Dragon Slayer, the amazing Dragon Slayer with the dragon Vermithrax, um, starring John Gilgood, actually. And the guy that ended up playing the bad guy from Ghostbusters 2. Oh, where's Christopher Stewart when you need him? He'd know for sure. That actor. He was also in Ally McBeal. He did a lot of comedic acting, but in Dragon Slayer, he's this very earnest young warrior. Uh, but John Van Vliet also did Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, and then after Tron, he did Buckaroo Banzai, Captain EO, Willow, Hot Shots, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Ghost, The Fly 2, Demolition Man, Stargate, Mortal Kombat, Ace Ventura, Happy Gilmore, The Sixth Man. Oh, The Sixth Man. I was an extra in this in uh, The Sixth Man. That's one of the few times I actually got to play basketball in a actual arena here in Rogers Arena on an actual basketball, official basketball court. They outfitted me with proper gear because I'm a very tall person, and I mostly got to sit on the sidelines. I'm not actually very good at basketball, but I got to look like I was. <laughs> it's not a, I don't think it's a great movie, but I'm sure I'm in the background there somewhere. Uh, also, Armageddon, X-Men, Miss Congeniality, Aragon. Oh, Aragon, the film of which we do not speak. What a tragic mistake that was. And a whole bunch more. His last credit is 2013, so he might be retired now, but he's responsible for a huge number of special effects I've probably loved over the years. Um, no doubt a lot of the coolest things I've seen have been actually created at the hands of John Van Vliet. There's a blast, and then the camera goes into the nozzle of the laser, and we're on our way into the grid. Now, this whole sequence was done by one of the four companies that were hired to do the effects for the film, uh, Robert Abel and Associates, under the direction of Kenny Merman. I've always wanted to see a Merman. <laughs> Robert Abel, and a shout out to the uh, Cabin Minute. Robert Abel and Associates also did the opening logo for the film as well. And a lot of the people that worked there went on to form other influential companies like Rhythm and Hughes and Wavefront Technologies, and a few of them went on to win Academy Awards. So Kenny Merman, who goes by Kenneth now, went in to be part of Digital Domain and was the visual effects art director for the work that they did on the Titanic movie, a little indie film called Titanic. He started in 1977 doing all the ABC on-air motion graphics. His LinkedIn page is fascinating. He's done award-winning animated TV commercials for Samsung, Benson & Hedges, and TRW. He invented the animation imagery technique called 2.5D. I think, if I understand what they're saying, we recognize that from, like, top-down, three-quarter view 
resource management strategy games. It's all 2D sprites, but it looks like it's 3D, that isographic kind of look. He's written and directed number one hit music videos on MTV, VH1, and BET for multi-platinum record recording artists Tony Braxton, Al Green, Babyface, Johnny Gill, Jermaine Jackson, and Tracy Spencer as well. But these days, and for the last 10 years, he's been a volunteer life story writing teacher at the Los Angeles Central Juvenile Hall Jail, teaching teenage girls incarcerated behind bars. He's teaching the art of writing and speaking one's truth as a tool for personal transformation and healing and helping them face a life of domestic abuse and gang warfare and providing a change to a path of empowerment, self-value, hope, and love. He launched a company providing visual stories and photographs of the real you called Origin. Dot com. That's A-U-R-A-G-I-N.com. Check it out. He also did a sweet half-hour talk about his time with Robert Abel and Associates. I'll link that here uh, in the show notes. Now, Tron's co-visual effects supervisor, Richard Wynn Taylor II, had previously worked at Robert Abel and Associates for one of his famous ads for 7-Up in 1974 had that candy apple neon look that they became famous for and that they really wanted to include in Tron. They also specialized in streak photography and slit-screen technology, which they put to good use in 2001 A Space Odyssey for the final going into the monolith sequence, which is in a lot of ways quite similar to this sequence here. They were hired to do the effects for Star Trek The Motion Picture, but unfortunately, after working extensively on the film, they were fired after a bit of a blow-up. And after that, they received a call from Terrence Malick, who was making a science fiction epic based on the Big Bang now, Malik was known for huge delays, but he was also a huge name. Now, Paramount put up a good sum of money for them to research digital computer-based Big Bang effects for the film, but Malik pulled the plug one day, and the project never made it to the screen. Now, Taylor was a former merchant marine, wow, with a master's in printmaking and photography, who founded the company Rainbow Jam, who would design psychedelic light shows for the Grateful Dead to go on tour with them. So he was no stranger to the trippy visual effects and concept work that was required for this sequence for this film. Now, was it Terrence Malick who did The Tree of Life? Because The Tree of Life has a Big Bang sequence in it. So maybe, uh, maybe that was the film that he ended up making. Uh, that was had the plug pulled on it back in the early 80s. Hard to say. I'll have to do some research on that, but this is not the Tree of Life Minute. So at first we see some kaleidoscopic visuals, and then we travel down a tube or vein with blood cells that look like red Tetris blocks. To me it looks like we're going down a vein with red Tetris block blood cells. 
Then we travel further down the tunnel and the Tetris blocks take on a different colors and get more complex. We leave the tube and go through a few layers of grid and down into a bottomless grid pattern of dots and light and lines and a bunch of different glowing colors. The camera pans and sways in a way that must have made anyone in the theater feel quite queasy. It fades to black a little bit and we see red lines pass by the camera in the same way that a passenger might see telephone poles, telephone poles go past his window in a car. That brings us to the end of the minute. Now I like to go over a little bit uh, about the differences between the screenplay and the novel. In the novel we get a little bit of the MCP's thought process. Uh, letting Flynn find the data is a no-go. Alerting security wouldn't do either because that would bring questions that might get the police involved and lead to deeper investigations. But given time, Flynn would find his goal and work around the MCP. So that leaves the laser. The MCP briefly considers murder, but again, that would leave a body and a lot of questions but since it has monitored the laser experiments and knew what it could do, it decides to digitize Flynn. But it wouldn't be able to leave him in limbo in the beam as he'd come out the next time the laser was used in an experiment, which would be a bit of a shock. So he decides to suck him into the grid, which is uh, pretty dang cool. The screenplay is very similar to the novel, this visualization of the journey was what Robert Abel and Associates tried to come close to, and I think they did a pretty good job. Um, if you want to look up the screenplay, you can take a look, but the, uh, the descriptions there are very, very close to what we get in the film. Yeah, there you go. Screenplay, very similar to the novel. The descriptions of the visualization of the journey came, I think Robert Abel and Associates tried to come close and I think they did a really a really good job of it well that takes us to the end of this minute uh, I think yeah if you want to get in touch with us check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com drop us a line on twitter at tronologicallyspeaking send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on facebook at the tronologicallyspeaking tron minute by minute listeners page shout out to pond5 for the music Special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to Movies by Minute and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community in my experience. All right, well, that brings us to the end. And uh, I'm going to give you a little end of line. And then we'll be on to Minute 32 in a couple of days. And I will talk to you then. End of line. <laughs>